Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Rivals. People competing with another for the same objective or superiority in the same field of activity. Fantastic rivalry. It was intense. A lot of passion showed in it. I think the game that both teams look forward to every season. There's no walks of life where people go to work with two ambulances behind them. We know how dangerous it is. Both chasing the same goals and dreams. I remember feeling really sorry for him. I knew I was going to beat him. I think there was needle between the teams, but just through wanting to beat each other so badly. You know, there was a mutual respect. Each fighting against the other. I thought, wow, that looks like a broken man. I thought, wow, is it really that serious? when you're suffering and someone's better than you on the day and you're doing everything you possibly can to hold on to, to them and not let that gap get any bigger than a metre and you're praying for the end to come or you're praying for the next corner so you can rest a little bit. They're the hardest days. In this series, we bring together famous sporting rivals to hear a shared story from both sides. The triumph, the tragedies, the victories, the near misses, the laughter and the sorrow. This is reunited on TalkSport. Most sporting rivals live miles from each other in different cities, countries, even continents. They perhaps only face each other a few times a year on the track, pitch, course or court. But for the Brownlee brothers, Alistair and Johnny, the rivalry is much closer to home. As two of the best triathletes in the business, they used to live together, still train together, and compete together. It is a rivalry that is perhaps the most unique in modern sport. In this series, we have focused on the moments when the worlds of two rivals collided. But for the Brownlee brothers, sibling rivalry has always been there, especially as they were both encouraged to take up sport at an early age. Alistair Brownlee. Well, I think, uh, you know, having my mum into swimming and encouraging us to go to the swimming club and my dad into a bit of running, I think that was important. I think what was probably more important was um, just giving both of us a kind of attitude of enjoying being outside, enjoying being active, always being on the go. Johnny Brownlee. I remember being taken on walks with my parents in the Yorkshire Dales and it was just one of those things on a weekend that you did. We went on epic walks on the, on the Yorkshire Moors and 
occasionally I didn't want to be there, you know, as a little kid, you're getting dragged by your parents. And, uh, but then my first real sporting memory was I used to swim for the local swimming club, which is Ebra. But you do 25 metre races and, and take part in that and come home with a few medals. And then I was more interested with the, the sweets um, after the gala than the actual medals. But then we swam at Ebra for a few years and then moved to the city of Leeds swimming club. Uh, and it becomes a little bit more serious. You go to more swim sessions more times a week. And I remember that's when it first, well, probably when I was eight, nine, ten, I kind of started to think of myself as a swimmer. Older brother Alistair was also a keen swimmer. I got told if you join the swimming club, you can do galas and, and win medals. And uh, that captivated me at the time. And, and that was it, yeah. But it was very quickly followed by like schoolboy cross country as well. Encouraged by his parents, Alistair would spend many an hour cycling, running or swimming. And when he heard about an event called the triathlon, he was keen to get involved. I remember it being in Nottingham at the time, the races were called the Milk Series, that was like the children's series. And it basically, it was just at a local leisure centre and then you race around a field that was in the, in the same, very close to it, you know, out the back door of the leisure centre, bike round it and ran round it. Uh, and I think, I can't even remember, came top 10 or something. and really enjoyed it you know as a kid I was just all the you know from going from a swimming gala where someone says go you jump in and you swim four lengths to um you know doing this race where you you swam your whatever your six lengths you don't have to get out remember to put your t-shirt on your helmet and jump on your bike you know I think that really captivated me um the kind of intricacies of it from there really the younger Brownlee brother was also intrigued by what triathlons involved triathlon in the UK, was definitely not a big sport. When I went to tell my school friends that I was doing a triathlon on the weekend, they would say, oh, does that involve horse riding? And yeah, no, 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 that's a different sport. The first time I did it was because um, Alistair wanted to do it, and I was in the car with my parents traveling to it, so they're like, well, he's doing it, so you might as well do it as well. As well. It was a sport that I did probably because Alistair was doing it, and uh, it was better than me sat watching it. Alistair Brownlee. I think I knew all along he was going to follow my footsteps. If I went to swimming club or he went to swimming club a bit afterwards, if I started running, he'd start running when I started travelling. So, you know, so I think in my mind it wasn't, he was suddenly there. It was, that yeah, he was, he was always there and he was always going to be racing me, really. But was there any sibling rivalry? I think on the whole we weren't too bad. I mean, we definitely did fight, but not a massive amount. I think we fought a bit, but not too much. Johnny. There was definitely some fighting. It normally uh, involves around Alistair knowing how to annoy me and knowing where my end point was and going a little bit past it. There were times when we were playing crazy golf and I thought that was my turn to win because I'm the one who's better at those kind of sports. And he would uh, win or get close to winning and annoy me. So I hit, I hit him with a golf club, whack him over the head with a golf club and then doing that and that awful feeling afterwards of, oh, oh did I really do that? So we, yeah, there were fights, but most of the time it got on very, very well. When not arguing over crazy golf, both brothers continued to progress, and as Alistair entered his teenage years, things began to really take off. My dad tells a story of wanting to get up for school to go running through the woods and him um, switching the alarm off because he didn't want to go with me. It got more and more serious again. I, you know, I remember getting my first kind of international vest as a probably 14, 15-year-old, and, and that was another big moment. I remember Alistair qualifying for Great Britain for the first time. He was 14, 15 years old, and he came back with his uh, with, with his kit and put it on the kitchen table, and then you, know, you got the GB flag on it, and you think, wow, he, my brother's representing his, his country. That's incredible. He must be you know, reasonably good at that. Of course, with both boys regularly competing across numerous disciplines, 
it was obvious that at some point they would face each other. Johnny remembers clearly the day he lined up on the start line against his older brother, Alistair. I, the first time I kind of competed against him, reasonably competitive, was at a, a West Yorkshire schools cross-country race, actually in York. And I, he was a senior and I, I was the under 17 or something. I mean, you, you ranked together. And that was the first, ta- first race I'd really been on the start line with him. And I remember thinking, I'm already, already going to come second, he's already going to beat me. Uh, I was already defeated at that point and uh, it was a strange situation race against him because I'd trained with him, I'd trained you know, next to him side by side, but because of the age groups going for the years, you never actually raced together, so that first time was a, a little bit weird. Uh, I remember great times going to cross-country races just with Johnny and me and my dad in the car, you know, turning up basically at a muddy field and putting on a pair of spikes and running in sideways rain and that being fantastic. The running in sideways rain was beginning to pay off, and both brothers were making a name for themselves amongst the junior ranks. And then in 2005 came a significant announcement that, little did they know, would shape their future careers. Alistair Brownlee. I remember very clearly when London got the Olympic Games in 2005 and I'm still at school seven years before and the headmaster going, oh wow, have you heard? It was a school day, obviously, have you heard that London's got the Olympic Games? You know, isn't that fantastic? And to me, it felt so far away that it, it was irrelevant. Johnny Brownlee. Yeah, I can remember clearly when London won the, the 2012 Olympics. I was at school. Uh, I had a French friend actually and they're competing with Paris f- uh, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the Olympics. And we're walking down the stairs at school and... Uh, I, someone said, oh, London have won it. And I just was like to my French mate, ah, we've beaten you at this. And that's all that I was bothered about. I had absolutely no idea whatsoever I would go there. I'd, I'd get to go to London. Alistair Brownlee. So at that point, I'm still not really thinking on, on those levels. Um, then that said, the year after, in 2006, um, I said to myself, right, if you can win the, the World Junior Championship in this year, you can, you know, that in my mind means that you can have a career as a triathlete. Lining up alongside Alistair for those World Junior Championships in 2006 was his brother Johnny. 2006 juniors, I was a young junior, I was three years too young. Alistair, uh, it was a big chance for him to become World Junior Champion. And we're in Lausanne in Switzerland. And I remember being on the the start line together. And then I actually beat Alistair out the swim, so I was ahead of him. And then I crashed on the first corner. And it was a long walk back for me because we're 5k away from, when I crashed, we're about 5k away, and we, I walked back to the Lausanne finish line, and Alistair was just crossing the line when I was walking back with a bike, uh, with a broken bike, so I was really, really upset, um, whereas Alistair was obviously really happy, and I remember getting dragged around a lot of restaurants and at the Olympic Museum after the, the day after, being really upset, whereas Alistair was over the moon, so it was quite tough. I had no idea where he was, I don't think. Because, you know, you don't know in the, mi- in the middle of a race. And, um, yeah, I think I just looked round at the pack and saw he wasn't there. And, yeah, got on and did the race. You know, junior races are pretty frantic. Things are going on the whole time and they're only, like, 50, 55 minutes long. So it's just kind of over. Um, and then I found out at the end, I think, they'd crashed. I was in tears, yeah. By the time Alistair finished, I think my tears were kind of mostly over. I remember actually walking back with a... One of the old British triathlon coaches, and he found me and said, "Oh, um, this will make you stronger." 
and then I was a bit better after that. But I think when it actually crossed, Alice crossed the finish line, I won, I was a bit more annoyed because my race had been so bad and his had been so good. Uh, but I was actually there when he, literally, I could not have timed it any better, any worse, whatever way you look at it. But as I had finally walked back from the other end of the course, he was crossed the finish line to become world champion with a, the British flag. No, I don't think I was too bothered. I think I was a bit um, focused in the moment, should we say. <laughs> so how do their parents cope when dealing with triumph and disaster? Alistair. I think they rightly um, are more bothered about the person who's had a bad day. You know, they're there for them, really. I kind of remember they've very much been there for Johnny at the time. Um, and I think that's probably the best thing to do as a parent. I think it's tough. Um, my dad is, is good at dealing with those situations. My mum gets a little bit, bit more um, emotional in the whole situation. But yeah, they have said that at that time, I think they just said I was young. There's a lot more racing to, to do, obviously, and uh, I'll be fine. Following Alistair's success at the World Juniors in 2006, there was a small matter of the Beijing Olympics. I thought there was no chance I was going to be the Olympics in two years' time. Literally no chance and ended up qualifying last minute in the last race of 2008. Anyway, and over the, the next three months between the qualifying race in Madrid, where I was actually first Brit and, and the Olympics had kind of gone from a complete outsider to thinking I had no chance to thinking, you know what, I might just have a chance here. Beijing, uh, 2008, I was sat in the stand and I went to watch my, my brother and hopefully learn a few things uh, going forward. And all of a sudden, with about 4K to go, I thought he was going to win the race. And my first reaction was a bit like, oh no, that's not super exciting because I thought Olympians were amazing people. And if my brother wins it, that kind of wrecks that a little bit. But then uh, I was also like, wow, my brother's going to win the Olympics as well. And that is really, that is pretty cool as well. About 5K, then 6K, I found myself at the front of the race absolutely racing out my skin not com not competed anywhere near to that level before you know even just a month before in at world cup level so um it was a bit of a surprise and then completely uh, capitulated blew up and came 12th um but it was a it was a big big point for me you know it's like i was there for whatever that is an hour 35 of an hour 45 race i was there with the best in the world on the olympic stage um i might have come 12th but actually look how close i was to 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 winning really at first, I was impressed that he was there. You know, to get, have a brother in the Olympics is very, very special. Um, and then I, I knew that it, it put him in good stead for four years' time. It would indeed put Alistair in good stead for 2012. But little did Johnny know that he too would be on the start line in London. Still to come on Reunited on Talksport. I think having each other on the start line is a big, a big advantage of our time. But one of the big advantages is we're both in the start, start line of Olympic Games going, if none of us get a medal here, we've really messed up. To know that we've stood there and then been able to, uh, with all that pressure and all that expectation, and the fact that both of us want to win and, and beat each other, to stand there and just be able to have a joke before the, the biggest couple of hours of your life, I think is pretty fantastic. This is Reunited on TalkSport. In this episode, we are bringing together two brothers who have been rivals as long as they can remember. The triathletes, Alistair and Johnny Brownlee. As the noughties came to a close, it was clear that Alistair was keen to build on his 12th place in Beijing, while Johnny was also moving up a gear. When in um, 2009, I bought a house and then we moved in together, basically, and yeah, away from the family home. Yeah, living together with another housemate. Yeah, for me, so in 2009, 
that was my last year as a, a junior, and then after that it gets more serious. So, yeah, when we move in together, definitely things get it get more serious. Again, we were both students who were uh, uh, trainings, but we were first and foremost athletes. Well, we've always tried to be very, very clear and never try and hide any training. I think that's been a very important thing. You never want to get in a situation when Alistair drops me off the end of the ride and, I, and he goes for a shower and I sneakily put an extra 10 minutes on the end of the ride because that just doesn't work in that, in that, in that situation because it, 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 it goes out of control because then maybe Alistair wants to do a bit more and he's not as honest. We very, from the outset, we're very clear. We learned that you had to lay the tra what training you're doing on the table and try and help each other out. Following on from his 12th place at the Beijing Olympics, Alistair claimed several global titles including a world championship in 2009. It was clear he would be, barring an injury, a serious contender for London 2012. But for Johnny, the jury was still out, until a race in 2010 changed his thinking. But it was the Brits that cracked under Gomez. He cannot believe it, and he is back on top. Gomez wins in London. Jonathan Brownlee, the Brownlee we didn't anticipate, will be silver. I think Jan Frodino will claim the bronze. The only real time I thought it kind of started to realize I could go to the London 2012 Olympics was in, in 2010 in, the, in the, the, the race in London, which was a trial event for the Olympics. I, when I came second, because I ran past Alistair with 200 meters to go, because he was suffering heat exhaustion. And that was the kind of one of the trial events. So I thought, wow, if I can podium in that race, then maybe I've got a chance of going. And then the next year, 2011, was my first full year as a senior. Uh, and we had to qualify for the, for the Olympics by winning in the test event and winning in the grand final. And we, I, I did that, but I, for me, really, the qualification process was a two-year thing where I went from being a, a young uh, outsider with, well, with absolutely no chance, really, to being on a start line in London 2012. That was actually the first World Series race I'd ever not won. Alistair Brownlee is just coming in across the line in a totally... He is totally carbohydrate depleted. I guarantee you it's nothing more than that. He just did not have enough calories. And what an incredible effort. Alistair Brownlee, and when he cracked, he went big. And so there was like a lot of other stuff going on. I'd never, I've never ever doubted that on my day I wouldn't be better. Like I've never ever, like, uh, and I think that's what it came down to. I remember thinking afterwards, I was like, yeah, but on my day and on his best day at Olympic Games and on any, I think I'm going to be better. So um, it, it didn't. You kind of have lots of blips in sporting career and I guess it's when people talk about belief and confidence and stuff and I don't even know if it's that. I think it's just maybe it's going back to the training, seeing what people are capable of day in, day out and it was just I had a bad day and if you have a bad day, you know, things are out of your control and the 50th person can beat you, so what does it matter? Yeah, after the race, he's in hospital for a while, so <laughs> I definitely didn't tease him um, and it's one of those things we forgot about very, very quickly. <laughs> Both Brownleys qualified for the London Olympics, and they knew they would be together on the start line in Hyde Park. Alistair Brownlee. I don't think we ever discussed it in the lead up to it. Uh, it was there, and I wouldn't say it was the elephant in the room either, you know, it wasn't something that we didn't discuss because it was just this big thing. It, it was something we both knew it was there. We both knew there was probably added intensities going into it. We both knew it was very important, and we both knew what we had to do to kind of get on to go about and do it. And um, yeah, we, uh, we were very simple in our approach to doing it, you know, just train well, train consistently, do what we know, don't do anything fancy, don't go chasing after extra little bits, just, just do the simple things right and stick to the simple things that we've known and developed 
over the last few years and uh, without really talking about it and going out of our way that's just how we decided to go about it really i remember sitting down the, the morning before and being sat on the sofa and you know being on the news there's these like thousands of people that have come from yorkshire to watch us and them all being interviewed and i was just sat there just going flipping out you know this this is pressure don't don't mess this one up uh, and having a joke about it but yeah it was never it was never really a big thing or something that we had to talk about it's just something that we knew um, that we, what we were trying to do, really. I think I was very lucky having Alistair there in the fact that everyone expected him to win and me to maybe medal. So that took a lot of pressure away from me. I was, again, I was very lucky. I went into Olympics with all my training going very, very well. But one other thing, I was really, really excited. And I quite like the approach going to these races and in 20 years time, when I can't race anymore and um, I'm sat down on the sofa, I want to look back and sit and actually try and actually enjoy those days and look back at those days fondly and go, I was very lucky to compete in a home Olympics. I think I just kept saying it's like any normal race, didn't I? As much to myself as Johnny, but you've heard it cliched so many times before, but you know, if you can arrive on that day and you know you can have a bit of a bad day and be a few percent off and still win, that's all you can ask for. And um, and uh, and it is like any other race. You stand on the start line, and that is very much a, what I learned from Beijing. You know, you, you're still on a bit of blue carpet with white lines. You're still diving into a lake, and you're going to bike and run afterwards, and um, with a few uh, with 50 other guys, which is slightly less than normal racing, which is actually a good thing. And um, yeah, and it is like any normal race once you once you get on with it. And I think the the actual once you're at the start line, I think most of the mistakes are already done. People make the mistakes and they lead up to it. They treat it like it's something different, and um, I think that's where things go wrong. I think having each other on the start line is a big, we're talking big advantage of our time. But one of the big advantage is we're both in the start start line of Olympic Games. Going if none of us get a medal here, we're really messed up. So at least if Alice has a bad day, hopefully I can come away with something, and vice versa. So I think that's actually that's added a lot of confidence to me. Many. I've always seen Alistair as a, a solid, definite medal opportunity, and if I can do it as well, that's great. So did the brothers come up with tactics together to use against their Olympic rivals? Alistair. We don't kind of do it uh, kind of implicitly, do we? We wouldn't literally sit here with a pad of paper and a pen and go, you know, this is what we need to do, this is what we need to do for that. But we are kind of naturally out on a bike ride or out running. I would definitely do it, and this is how we need to race, and this is what we should do, and um, kind of then you come across a plan but because both of us are very similar kind of tactical racing styles that developed we kind of both know what we're doing anyway and the other thing in triathlon is it's so unpredictable so you can talk about it all you want and then the you know the thousandth kind of scenario that you haven't talked about happens and if you're not flexible then you know it's all been a waste of time hasn't it so yeah just kind of outline plans and talking about what might go on in this and, and then just a really good solid understanding I think that's the most important thing and you only develop that from hours of training and pushing each other and, and that kind of thing and racing together, I think. The men's Olympic triathlon final for the 2012 London Games took place on the 7th of August in Hyde Park. Johnny. I think I remember most minutes of, of that day from waking up in the morning to going down the hotel to, to, to go in and checking our bikes in and the way we entered Hyde Park or the triathlon course, there was actually very little crowd because you came in the back entrance and I was thinking... Whole day's a little bit of disappointment, really. There's, you know, I thought the crowd was going amazing, and then we went on our warm-up loop on the bike course, and it was unbelievable. The first time we heard the noise, it was like I've never heard anything like it, or really you know, since it. Um, it was incredible, an incredible race, it's incredible to be part of. I think I always fondly remember to standing on the start line of the London Olympics. That was really cool. Next to your brother, not many people 
get to do that, to know that we've stood there and then been able to, uh, with all that pressure and all that expectation and the fact that both of us want to win and, and beat each other, to stand there and just be able to have a joke before the, the biggest couple of hours of your life, I think is pretty fantastic. However, for Johnny, the 2012 race would not go as planned. He was hit with a 15-second time penalty for mounting his bike a fraction too early. Alistair was the first to notice. Yeah, I knew before Johnny did. I'm a bit more aware, I think, and um, I, I think I picked up on the first lap and I was actually trying to tell him, but the noise was so loud that I was, like, yelling at him, you've got a penalty, and it didn't... I don't think... I think it wait, we had to wait till there was, like, a quiet bit on the course and it got through to him and then he maybe saw it on the board or something. I can't, anyway, I can't remember. Um, and... Yeah, I told him he got a penalty. I don't think I, he didn't actually tell me I got. I remember reading the board that I'd got a penalty, and my first reaction was, "Oh no, I don't want to lose out an Olympic medal because of one silly area like that." And then I think what else he said to me, "Just calm down and, and just race your race." Normally, you can talk a bit. It, it's quite hard because you're obviously moving fast, uh, and by the time you're running, you can't really talk because you're breathing too hard. <laughs> Uh, but on the bike, you know, you can talk about little things, but at the same time, you want to be kind of quite calm and, and not be like too aggressive about it. But London, because was, the crowds were just phenomenal, we'll never race a triathlon like that ever again. Um, you know, most of the six or seven K lap, it was just yelling, which was brilliant. Uh, and then there was a small part across Serpentine Bridge in Hyde Park that people couldn't stand on for some reason. And, you know, when you flew over there for five or six seconds, you had a chance to yell at each other, and that was it. It didn't affect Alice's tactics, whatever he did. But then, in the end, it's one of actually how proud I am. One of the proudest moments in, in my career is how I dealt with that. A lot of people would have fallen apart there and gone, this big day you've trained for, now you've, you've wasted it. But the way it worked, a group of three of us got away very quickly and I had a more than a 15 second buffer and I took the penalty. But my Alice just said basically calm down and relax and there's nothing to do about it now. I remember feeling really sorry for him. It didn't factor in my race at all because I knew I was going to beat him, so I was just like, I was a bit worried about Gomez potentially, but uh, I knew I was absolutely flying form, and it, it was just, yeah, I, it was my race to lose on that day, which doesn't happen very, you know, I don't say that a lot about racing in sport, I'm not really that really necessarily overconfident person, but that day I was just absolutely sure. It's happened two or three times ever, and thankfully it happened on that day. I was like, right, no, I've got to you know, push on to try and win this, I don't think. 5K into the run, I'm thinking, Oh, at least I've got a medal now. Maybe that's at the back of my mind, and then I'm quickly thinking, well, wait a minute, how, how can you actually win this? Well, I didn't think I was going to get the bronze medal, really, until the last 200 metres when I run down the finishing straight, thinking, I've done it. Uh, that was my first reaction, I've done it. It's something I've always wanted to achieve, something I've trained hard for for years. And you uh, when yourself that lap, lap, last lap, you were still a 10-second lead? No. You were worried about getting caught? Mm. So, yeah, I'm running down there, and then I think, wow, I've done it. Uh, I know how quickly races can change in triathlon. It's hard to explain emotion in a situation. My, I really wanted to, first I wanted to really get to the finish line because you're really, really tired. And then it kind of came around that it didn't really feel real, if anything. Um, there were times, definitely in the evening so afterwards, I had to go home and check the medal to actually make sure it happened, and, it, and I didn't. And I never one of these athletes would believe that. When I heard other athletes say that, I thought, oh, it's just it's rubbish. Um, but I remember, yeah, just never thinking it actually really happened. Despite the penalty, Johnny took the bronze medal with his older brother claiming the gold. It was incredible. It, it was like a whirlwind of emotions. I think just joy and um, happiness, relief. I think, yeah, there, there was a massive amount of pressure on both of us for that day. So 
a bit of relief that it actually came off and just pride I think really you know it's a really really um, special not only the race itself but you know the, the kind of lead up to it the training the, the people around us who came together in, in the few months and stuff um, yeah it's a really really special experience and, and the race itself both thankfully to have the performance on that day but also the crowds and stuff I think both of us will um, yeah remember that forever firstly I kind of wrecked the moment I collapsed off the finish line and went to hospital bed for an hour and a half and delayed the whole podium so by the time we came round to the podium it was an hour and a half after the event and then you do all the media stuff you got to do and then we went home to the hotel probably didn't have time for a shower went straight off to BBC Studios um, to do the, the interviews and and then finally we were at the hotel and I think Alistair went out partying and I went to bed. I just wanted to go to sleep. I couldn't wait for anything more than go to bed. Still to come on Reunited on TalkSport. I'm kind of not emotional in them times. It's more when you go home and you close the hotel door and you go, wow, that did happen. Oh, at the time when I first saw him stumbling, I was just like, yeah, what an idiot. And I was quite annoyed, like in a big brother kind of, what a stupid idiot kind of way. 2015 went really badly for both of us. 
Johnny ended up getting stress fracture. I ended up having ankle surgery and neither of us actually hit the, the qualifying races. I went to do the test event, but came 10th because I was already injured and Johnny was not doing any training at all. So it was a really, really tough year for both of us. Thankfully, the British Triathlon selectors picked us, which was absolutely brilliant because it was their faith in us and it just gave us the that year to prepare. And um, coming back into the end of that year, I'd say probably November, when we started going away, November 2015, going away on camps, we had a really good group of guys around us that we were training with that was superb and super important. Um, we, again, had just nailed down and decided how we were preparing really similar kind of run-up that we'd used for London and, and other races over the years that we'd developed and just got on and did it. Early in 2015, I was probably in the best form I've ever been in my life. I was incredibly fit and then I had a stress fracture. So 2016 was all about getting kind of back to the form that I had been in before. The course suited us more. The heat, maybe not so much, but it was a hilly bike course, which put, made it more into our favour. And Javier Gomez, who uh, came second in London, had a bike crash. He wasn't going to be in, in, in Rio and has been four years older, not the kind of the young guy. I was more confident. Uh, leading up into Rio, I, my training went very well. We went to San Moritz and we went to uh, Brazil for a couple of weeks before and I was training really, really well. Um, I was actually very close to Alistair, if not even running better than him at that point. And it was um, at a stage when I really, from that start line, thinking I could be Olympic gold medalist. Uh, in London, I always knew in the back of my head I was never going to beat Alistair unless he had a really bad day because he'd beat me in sessions beforehand. But in Rio, I believed with four years older and, and in the shape I was, I could be better. I mean, I had a, not a great run-up in the last few weeks. I'd actually had to, had to have a week off running. Again, I, I kind of always believe that on both of our best days, I'm going to win. Um, and in a, in a triathlon, because triathlon, over a tough hour 45 race, it just plays into what I'm good at, really. And we'd had, there'd been two races in the run-up in Leeds and Stockholm, both of which I'd won, even though off less training, less base, you know, less confidence. And especially Stockholm, when I won that race where... You know, it was pretty close, really, and won it over the last K. I was like, I can pretty much, under any conditions, I'm winning these races. Alistair Brownlee has now finally been able to let up, and he will win for the second time. His brother has won here twice as well. Four out of five years, it has been a Brownlee to cross the line on top. And today, Alistair Brownlee, for the second time in two weeks, will claim a WTS race, and for the second time, It'll be little brother Johnny Brownlee crossing the line, the man who's won here twice before himself. A complete domination by these brothers on this course both today. And then I'd had four or five more weeks training. And the other thing I've always believed is that I'm probably adapt better from training than anyone else. So, you know, give me a good four or five weeks. No one's getting fitter above those than I am because I've got the, that ability to adapt. So... And I'm normally starting off a lower base because I've been injured as well. I uh, stood on the start line, not definitely not had the confidence I had in London. For the second time in their careers, the Brownlee brothers would be alongside one another on the start line for an Olympic triathlon. This time, in the heat of Rio, Johnny. No, I, I think looking back in Rio, I was in very good shape and the shape to win. I think I probably made a couple of mistakes. One is we talk about committing the bike and. I definitely committed a lot more. I put, I worked more than anyone else on that bike. I probably had one of the, uh, and I, maybe I should have saved my legs a little bit more then, but uh, I didn't. And then secondly, is on the run. Um, it got to about you know, 5K in the run. It was just Alice and myself. I, 
Uh, I'm not normally a confident person, but I knew at that point we were very likely to get first and second. And I said to Alistair, um, relax, which is normally run code for kind of ease off a little bit. In my innocence, and Alistair sped up and dropped me. Again, that was another weakness I probably shouldn't have shown, but maybe that's just being the younger brother. Yeah, I, I, I knew I was going to win by It was already, in my mind, it was pretty much over by then. I was like running to get us away from the field so I knew we were going to get a first and second I'd actually actively decided not to speed up earlier because I didn't want him to chase me and blow up and I knew at that point that it, yeah it was kind of and I was trying to win in the most kind of efficient way possible with the brothers going well and their rivals off the pace there was an unspoken acknowledgement between them that both would get an Olympic medal oh yeah amazing yeah absolutely yeah uh, at that point we're running along and within 2k of that race I was really confident that we were both going to come first and second. I was actively thinking the the only danger to this is Johnny blowing up. What an amazing situation that we are going to come first and second in this. To be honest, the whole, you know, rear most of the race went pretty flawlessly from the second lap on the bike, knowing that we had the, the gap on a lot of the rivals behind us because the bike was going well and we were, you know, we were moving quick. Uh, from that point, I just felt we were in control and there was a few moments there where I was like, yeah, this is the perfect scenario. You know, we're here in the Olympics with my brother. We're both going to win medals, probably going to come first and second. It's just, yeah, fantastic. For me, definitely better. I, If I'm not going to win, then I want Alistair to win, uh, definitely. Uh, he's my brother. And for me, uh, again, I come second in the Olympics and get me my brother still feels like a victory to me. I think it is very, very special for our parents and they're very proud. But when we cross the finish line, I think the first reaction um, is relief. I think they're just so happy, no, not in a bad way, but so happy that we haven't done badly or one of us hasn't done badly. Uh, they, they know how much you put into it. They uh, have seen it firsthand, what it takes and how emotionally we invested in it. And I think it's just relief of that went well, that didn't, or that didn't go badly rather. And then after that, they get very, very proud. Yeah, I think I agree entirely. I think it's, it's probably fantastic for your parents having your two sons compete at the Olympics, but on the other hand, it's probably a bit of a nightmare as well. Very stressful. Like Johnny said, they know that everything that goes into it, how stressful it is for you. Uh, and whereas you just get on a race and then it's over, you know, the anxiety is over. I think it probably just gets worse for them watching. Um, and I think you've always got to be on, like we were talking about earlier, on the side of the person it's going worse for as well. So, you know, even if at the London Olympics one of us had won and the other one had crashed out, I think that would have been quite possibly the worst scenario, you know, worse than both of us doing badly. Um, so, yeah, for, for it to go well and, um, you know, to be what it needs to be for both I think I think that's the best it can be while millions around the world watch the Brownlee brothers win the Olympic gold in Rio there would be another race later in the year which would see Johnny and Alistair become household names across the globe Johnny takes up the story I'd been to Rio, I'd uh, got the Olympic silver medal and uh, Mexico was the final race of the year and if I had won that race I would have basically become world champion uh, if the other athlete came fifth and the scenario was going perfectly, I was winning, my rival was, was coming fifth um, and it was uh, great, you know, I was running there thinking I'm going to win the world champion for the second time. And with about 2k to go, I started to feel a little bit weak, thinking, okay, it's a long triumph and it's hot. It's a ridiculously hot competition. I've never seen anything like it before. And then with about a kilometre to go, suddenly I go around the corner and my legs just start to go wobbly. And the first reaction is, oh no, I'm going to do everything I can to get the finish line. 
And then the, the, the remaining um, two minutes, I can't really remember at all what was going on. Johnny has to win and to be sure of taking the title. And right now he seems to have lost control of his legs. And this is worrying. Oh, and he's starting to slow. And there is a little way to go. There's half a K to go. And Johnny is running out of time and is losing. He's losing his sense of direction. This is worrying. Oh, goodness me. This is a horrible sight. Oh, at the time when I first saw him stumbling, I was just like, yeah, what an idiot. And I was quite annoyed, like in a big brother kind of, what a stupid idiot kind of way. Um, I, I mean, I was running that race with him. I knew how hot it was. And so I was like pacing it really steadily. I, every time there was like a kick, I was just running back up to Johnny and the other guy I was running with, you know, just showing how to even pace it, pouring loads of water over me. And I was absolutely fine. Um, and Johnny pushed on probably with about 4K to go. I was just like, it's too early. You can win this race with 1K to go and, and not risk this. Um, and so at the time I was like, yeah, but even then it's hindsight, so it's too late already. You know, I could, maybe I should have told him at the time. Maybe I should have said relax to him and it might have worked and uh, he would have been world champion. <laughs> Jonathan Brownlee has lost it now and has staggered to a stop at the side of the course and Alistair's stopped to help him along. And Alistair is going to try and carry his brother home. Dramatic scenes in Cozumel as the Olympic champion carries his younger brother towards the podium. God, I cannot believe what we are seeing here, Matt. Is this allowed? Is he allowed to help his brother? You know, is that part of the rules? I'm not too sure. We've never seen anything like this before. Unbelievable scenes. Unbelievable scenes in Cozumel. The Brownlee brothers arm in arm, but it's not by way of celebration. Um, there's a few flashbacks of Alistair grabbing hold of me and me thinking, just leave me alone. I can't run with you, I'm too tired. And also, Alistair kind of threw me over the finish line and I was thinking, well, that's not very nice, is it? But what's going on physically is your body is so dehydrated that basically your body goes into shutdown to try and make you hit the ground and stop exercising because your body's overheating so much that if you keep doing that, it's worried it's going to do some serious long-term damage. So that's your body's response to hit the ground and to stop exercising. So my body was on survival mode, whereas my brain was on still racing and finishing mode. And that's the kind of thing you get. So Alistair came around the corner, grabbed hold of me and pulled me to the finish line. Johnny can hardly stand. And Alistair is having to drag him across the line and pushing him home, pushing him home for second. Johnny finishes in second. Goodness me, what an incredible conclusion here in Cozumel. So would Alistair have done the same for any competitor? Or was it brotherly instinct that kicked in? Who knows, and this is a question I've been asked a lot of times. To sit on the fence, but it is genuinely sitting on the fence. You know, it's an hour 45 into a race in 35 degrees. I'm probably close to the same situation. You get around a corner and you have, what, half a second to make the decision, and you make the decision. So whatever I sit here and postulate, and I can say, you know, I did it because of my brother, and I was thinking about the potential point situation of the world champs, and I've been in that position, and... I was passed by 10 people and thought it was a disgrace, so I always thought I'd help someone, and I knew that the medical um, the treatment was at the end, so I had to get them to... You know, there's all these potential factors, but 
really you're not thinking about stuff like that you, you're just making a snap decision to do what you do and yeah i did it and i think that's all there is to it really the aftermath of that was strange incredible i can't remember a lot of the, the next hour and a half i was in hostel beds on iv drips and going back to the hotel and went back to the hotel after being hostel for a couple of hours everyone had gone out celebrating and uh, there I was in the hotel room looked at my phone turned on it crashed it went crazy with all the tweets and then I thought okay I'll go to bed and woke up in the morning to people wanting interviews and things like that I was just disappointed myself for losing the world championships I wanted to be a world champion and finish the year off perfectly but it didn't happen for a long time afterwards Johnny was unconscious on a hospital bed they wouldn't actually let me see how he was doing and some of the other athletes were like what have you done and there was actually like a it went to whatever the review board or you know some some board of deciding about rules and uh, they they were deciding for ages whether they're going to get DQ'd or not like an hour and by the time you know even we I was on the finishes the podium for my third place it got dark so this really weird sense uh, but it was kind of cool at the same time well Johnny wasn't even on the podium because he was in hospital I was stood there you know, fielding questions from the media and being like, feeling like I was a cheat, thinking, what have I done? You know, this is a terrible thing. And then I stood on the podium, the whole crowd actually started chanting like Johnny and it, it was a really, really cool moment. Um, and then like Johnny said, the reaction to it was something yeah, you'd never even dream of. I went to bed that night thinking, what have I done? You know, I've never been on the wrong side of the rules in sport. You know, people are calling me a cheat. Did I do the right thing, didn't I? What a terrible end to the year, you know. Johnny just lost the world title. Um, and then, yeah, the, the reaction the next morning was incredible. Between them, the Brownlee brothers have been world champions, claimed Olympic medals, won Commonwealth and European titles, plus been victorious in countless ITU events around the world, an extraordinary haul of medals and titles. But when they look back at their careers to date, what is the standout moment? First up, Alistair. I think I always fondly remember to standing on the start line of the London Olympics. That was really cool. Next to your brother, not many people get to do that. Uh, we, we've never, I don't think in this whole time, we've actually talked about standing on the um, podium next to each other, have we? Like, you know, what an amazing thing to stand on the podium, two Olympic podiums next to your brother, and to be able to lean over and say to him, don't cry, you're softy, you know? And, and from Yorkshire, we're not soft lads, we can't cry. <laughs> yeah, so I think, yeah, looking back on that, I think, That'll be that'll be really special for me. It, it, definitely, there were two things. Firstly, being on the the, the podium, and like I was to say, joking each other as brothers do of "Don't cry." And second thing, I for me, how I've kind of coped with second and third. I mean, humble and proud of that. How again after third in London, coming back and going for the four years again, I never looked at Alistair with any jealousy ever. And how I've done that, and I think that's actually the most proud thing for me. But did they cry on the podium? Uh, uh, no, I. Um, I was worried he might, but. <laughs> no, it's, I'm kind of not emotional in them times. It's more when you go home and you close the hotel door and you go, wow, that did happen. And I've, I've worked really hard for that. But on the podium, you're still in the moment. Yeah, I'm very proud of that. And uh, I always like having a, a great Britain flag and singing the national anthem on the podium. I, uh, I probably sang louder than him. takes second and wins the overall title for 2012. And you can see Alistair Brownlee has now finally been able to let up and he will win for the second time. His brother has won here twice as well. This has been a tongue-tied media production for TalkSport. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. AdWanted UK is the provider of single-source media data for agencies, media owners, brands, and academic institutions. And thanks to our rebranded news offering called The Media Leader, we can also lead the way in championing excellence and inclusion in the media industry. To find out more, simply visit the-media-leader.com to subscribe to our daily bulletins. The Media Leader from AdWanted UK.